Hello everybody, welcome to the Awkwardly Big Dice podcast number five. We're up to five. And I am your host, Dan, with my usual co-host, Rob. Hello there. This is the, I said the fifth episode. I think we're doing pretty well. Um, hopefully it'll be as good as the other ones. <laughs> Who knows? Better. Why not? Uh, before we get into it, um, I will quickly shout out all our socials and everywhere you can find it. So obviously if you're checking out the live stream, we're on twitch.tv forward slash awkwardly big dice. You can also go to our YouTube where you can watch the uh, the VODs and also all the shorts that we do that are cut from the VODs. And that is just youtube.com forward slash at awkwardly big dice. And we're also on Twitter with awkwardly big die and on Instagram with awkwardly big dice. Please go uh, like, follow, subscribe, all the different things. Um, if you only come hot, like only manage to watch half of this, please go check it out on YouTube. Uh, the more likes, follows, views, and we get on there, the better. Absolutely. And questions. Give us questions. And questions, comments. Yes, comments are always good. We've had a few comments on our shorts. I'd like to see a little more activity on the board, but we understand longer form content, not quite the same. Uh, but we're getting there. So we'll start. Uh, well, I thought you know we we a few things we could talk about, but we're probably always gonna talk about our usuals with our spell of the week, as we do every week, and monsters of the week. Love to be able to talk about D and D news, uh, but the really in the news you've got at the moment, I guess, is the the new VTT that D and D Beyond are doing. I've heard mixed things. I've not really spent too much time looking into it. Um, though I know that um, Luke, or my brother, who uh, were able to use lots of uh, D&D Beyond content thanks to him, um, has been trying it and he says it's okay. Oh, fair. He says it's okay, but he's not used it in a proper D&D campaign format, so it's, mm, I don't know. Uh, but it's in alpha, so there's always going to be, like, you know, teething problems so i'm waiting to see how it plays out concerned that they're getting into this space when there are already so many options out there for virtual tabletops yeah. we use roll 20 not say the best one but probably the one of the for, for players at least probably one of the more straightforward ones easy to access as a player for sure mm-hmm. uh, i've recently branched out into uh, i believe it's called foundry v- vtt mm-hmm. um you always tell me so, that now. I never write it down. Should gonna write it down now. Yeah, found your VTT. Um, I can definitely say it's it's decent because um, it imports your character sheet off the Indie Beyond, so that's pretty cool. Um, it uh, it definitely I have mixed feelings about it, but it definitely promotes like its own own internal dice really well because you can click like your spells or you can click attack or you can click your various things and it will just bring up in the chat bar uh, the, the ability and you can roll it straight away and you can then roll your damage and yeah uh it is really really good and the other thing um I've, we found really well for it is the uh you can build in like line of sight blockers um so that if you're exploring a cave for example you can't see round corners and, and what have you um 
and that is there like for each player so like if i approach and go around a wall you'll see my token just disappear around that corner um it's very interesting very very strange way to play sometimes like if i was over we were doing a bit where i was over at the other end of a settlement and i just couldn't see what the rest of the party were doing at all on the map and it was i was kind of getting formal <laughs> it was a bit weird yeah i've seen uh, i think that's kind of similar sort of stuff they're trying to bring in on D&D Beyond. I wouldn't be surprised. They probably looked at their competitors uh, to try and work out what they want. My hope is it's not something they're doing to push microtransactions. Uh, yeah. Because that we'll could, be, it could be something uh, where they start pay, you're making you pay for every little tiny thing or extra little details. But hopefully... Like so far, it's not really the thing. They have their subscription and they have different levels to the subscription. Um, but I hope that's not something they're going to push. And yeah, I'm sure at some point I'll I'll, I'll give it a give it a go. I do use D and D Beyond a lot because it's just quick and easy uh, to be able to look stuff up rather than having to go and get me books. Um, though I still very much like the books. I always have the books next to me when I'm DMing. And I know the book, especially like the player's handbook in Inside and Out, so I'm always going to be able to find what I'm looking for in there. Pretty familiar with, um, I think Volos is probably, weirdly, the next one. Like You think it'd be the Monster Manual, but I'd probably say Volos more than the because it's got all the other, it was one of the first ones to have all the different races that you, playable yeah. races. Yeah, Goliath, ASMR, Tabaxi are in there, Lizard Folk are in there. Mm -hmm. Kenku, I think, is in there. Kenku well. is in there, I think so, yeah. Um, Purple? Yonti. Oh, yeah, Yonti. Yeah. yeah, they did some uh, evil races, didn't goblins, they? Goblins, well. hobgoblins. Yeah, and Orc. Is that what the Orcs were in there? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Before they did the new Orc, which is now from um, Mordekainen Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. Well, um, everything in Mordekainen has moved into that. It has, so it's, it's considered, well, the, well the, on D&D Beyond, they call it legacy content. Um, yeah. Other news, I mean, there's always little things. Um, they've got their Planescape book, I think, is coming out very soon. Wizards of the Coast, obviously, Planescape book, which is the oh. one that is the... Um, with all oh, the, the sigil, sigil stuff, the City of Doors, City of Doors uh, which is something that I know you're particularly would be, you would particularly be interested in being very that's, an area of the multiverse that you've been looking into and, and driving towards with our on and off every four week two shot thing we've been doing. <laughs> Given the uh, the amount of recent research I've done on various sources uh, into Sigil, the City of Doors and various factions and the lady of pain and things like that i will be interested to see if they've made many changes when it comes to the book that'll be a interesting one. Oh yeah i'll be i'll just be interested anyway because you, you've hyped me up on it i've I ended up reading <laughs> all the lore on the wikis and stuff like that so i would definitely be interested in that it's just a really cool concept for a for a city uh, it is the city that floats out in the middle of the outlands atop an infinitely high mountain and the city is a rotating donut essentially yeah. hollowed out with a city inside it so there's there's no physical way in you have to go in through a 
one of the many, many, many portals. Yeah. Uh, so which, who knows, you might be doing tomorrow night. Nice. It's it's an interesting book because it's supposed to be like even the gods can't touch it kind of kind of deal. And I think that's very interesting. And that's the whole that place makes... is an antithesis to gods, which may or may not be quite central to the plot line that I'm running. That's cool. That's cool. It makes sense based on what we've done so far. Um, with uh, working for I guess for it, we didn't we didn't really know, but I guess indirectly we're working for old uh, Platinum Dragon Boy, Bahamut. Yeah, yeah, indirectly, kind of, kind of. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I don't have anything else to talk about with regards to just general things that have uh, arisen within the D&D news sphere. So we'll move on to our our first topic uh, segment of the podcast, which is Spell of the Week. We have two, one each, as we always do every single week. If you want to throw suggestions at us for our next one, please go to our YouTube or our Instagram and throw up on there. That's where we're most likely to find those suggestions. Or check out our previous episodes where we have talked about a number of different spells and monsters as well, uh, for our, which is our second segment. But do we want to roll dice this week? Since I've remembered my dice this week. We can sure. roll to see who goes first. We'll do rollies. I've got me 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 black ones. I will use the Strad dice that I, I had. Nice, nice, nice. like it's got blood in it. These <laughs> ones are the formerly cursed dice. <laughs> I'm not superstitious, so I know it's not, but it's uh, it's fun to say. Right. Okay. Ah, uh, you're probably gonna beat me. I don't know. I got what? a six. I got a six. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's how rollies goes. I guess we'll do it again. We should probably set up a, a way to film this, but... <laughs> it's alright. First time trying it. Do it again. Yep. That's not much better. I think I beat you then, because I got an 18. An 18. I got a... I got a, dice. I got a 7. So one better than last time. You can decide who goes first, then. I'll go. Okay. I was, I was smirking before when you asked the viewers to give us suggestions, <clears throat> because, funnily enough, the spell of the week for me is the spell suggestion. <laughs> uh, it is a spell I, I do enjoy using. Um, again, I do have the running theme of mostly bringing up spells that I enjoy playing on Warlocks, but this spell can be used by, I would say, quite a lot of spellcasters. Uh, sorcerer, Bard, Warlock, Wizard and the Knowledge Domain Cleric, the more spellcaster, more like arcane magic-oriented cleric. Uh, it's yeah. what you would call uh, a control spell, really. It's um, it's an enchantment-type spell, which uh, it kind of does what it says on the tin. It's a concentration yeah. spell. It's a second-level spell, and at much later levels, there is a variant called Mass Suggestion, which... To, to the surprise of no one, is uh, an area of effect version of this single target spell. Um, I think other than uh, that, it probably mimics it in every other way. Um, it's got verbal and material components, although it doesn't 
specify the materials. So I know it does. Here we go. A snake's tongue and either a bit of honeycomb or a drop of sweet oil. But if you've got an arcane focus or a component pouch, that doesn't really come into play. Um, a single action to cast, range of 30 foot, and, and its duration is eight hours. So you can concentrate on this spell for up to eight hours. And it's a really interesting spell. It's a charm. So anything that's immune to charm will not be affected by this. Typically, that's things like really high-end bosses or things like ghosts, spooky monsters, that yeah, sort of and, thing. Yeah, uh, your um, constructs. Constructs as well. Machines can't be charmed or programmed, I suppose. You cannot so, manipulate their programming. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to get a, a netrunner to hack them. <laughs> I've been playing a lot more Cyberpunk recently. But anyway, uh, besides the, the point, um, so suggestion it, it is a wisdom saving throw spell. On a failed uh, save, uh, you have made a suggestion enough, uh, to the target creature. And on a failed save, it pursues the course of action that you described to the best of its ability. The suggestion must be worded in such a manner uh, to make the course of action sound reasonable. Asking a creature to stab itself, throw itself mm. on a spear, immolate itself, or do something other, some other obviously harmful effect will just end the spell. Um, so you can't just say go and off yourself in any which way you choose. Um, it's just not going to work. It counteracts the spell in its entirety. And uh, really it's just good for bullshitting your way into places or bullshitting your way out to places that's how i like to describe it i love it for that um so that uh creature usually a guard or an npc of some variety will pursue the the suggestion that you've given to the best of its ability the suggestion a suggested course of action can continue for the entire duration if the suggested activity can be completed in a shorter time the spell ends when the subject finishes what it was asked to do so you do have to be a little careful with it you can't just say um why don't you go and uh open that door if you want that person to go away for a long time you have to be quite specific um walk west for eight hours will work that's nice and specific um or why don't you go and spend the night with your family again a nice peaceful and uh, easy suggestion uh, and then they're doing it for the full night because you've suggested it um, or you can use it for things like um, kind of almost like Jedi mind tricks I suppose mm -hmm. like I feel that you should let us pass here and not really remember doing so yes you may have to concentrate on that spell for the next eight hours or at least until you're out of troubles distance I suppose um, before you relinquish that spell um, but yeah, it's a really a really fun spell. It's um, it's a nice low level, so you can get access to it from level three onwards if you're a main spellcaster. Um, and yeah, I don't know what your thoughts on it, Dan. My thoughts? Well, I uh, love it. <laughs> in my experience, from what I've experienced, because in our Crestestrad campaign, we did have our bard throw it out there. You did. Duncan Wolfsbane used it to. What were you doing? You were sneaking into a building in in Valachia, I believe, weren't you? 
we were we're uh, trying to get into the the manor mansion whatever you want to call it the house of the uh burgomaster yeah we won't say why spoilers obviously but uh needless to say it was um essentially the mayor of the town is the the best way to describe yeah, the yeah. burgomaster um in the, in the simplest form and you guys wanted to sneak in there for, for various spoiler related reasons and there were guards posted on the front door and the back door there were windows that you could sneak through but they were not the easiest to get through so you had quite a good plan to get in there we did the monk used i believe shadow step to get through the glass um to then open a window and let you all in if i remember rightly yes and i think by that time of the day as my wizard have fly so we could get up some of us could yeah. get up there i think yeah. it was something like that but yeah it's, it was definitely a, a joint effort yeah um, it was a joint effort and i think that's the, sometimes the best plans the ones where everybody has a part to play yeah and we did um but yeah it's a great it's a great spell it's a good low level charm spell uh it's only gonna you probably really once you start getting more powerful enchantments i suppose it's probably gonna slip to one side a little bit um also if i if you probably find most um everyone probably other than your clerics your your knowledge clerics and your wizards also are charisma characters so they're probably gonna try talking first before they move to using the um suggestion spell itself um but does it have this that condition that charm person has i don't think it does does it no it doesn't um so what i believe dan is referring to is that a lot of the really low level like cantrip called friends um the spell called charm person once they end the person that you've charmed knows they have been charmed and may turn aggressive towards you is that what you were referring to it's one of the things i was going to get to yes but it wasn't <laughs> wasn't that specific one oh, I, was, on, then what you... I was actually thinking about um if they are if you are uh, in combat aggressive towards them. i think charm person uh, the creature has advantage mm. against the save was this uh I don't see it. Uh, Let's have a quick read. Uh, so as, as long as, yeah, as far as I can see, as long as that, um, so you could be in a fight and you can suggest that someone drops their weapon. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you could you could do that. Or you could just ask one of them, one of the people that you're in the fight with to just leave and go have a nice holiday. Yeah, <laughs> just walk away. Yeah. <laughs> just keep walking until your feet are tired um, it does always remind me I know it's a terrible film but it reminds me of a scene in the first Wolverine movie where uh, I think his love interest uh, just makes somebody walk until they can't walk anymore yes at the end of the, uh, at the end of the uh, the movie the um, striker he, I think is what he's called yeah he's the guy that's then in a wheelchair because of that in the X-Men movies isn't he? he's in a wheelchair yeah <laughs> I, I don't know if my brain is because of yeah, that. Yeah, because of that maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. He's, he's the guy who's like primarily responsible for Wolverine's yeah adamantine skeleton. Um, That's the dude. But yes, that was what I was, I was thinking of because it means that it's a useful it's useful inside initiative inside your combat situations yeah. as well, opposed to being like charm person, which doesn't get used in those situations because of yeah. that condi- that condition not condition in in the terminology, but because of that. 
little bit of text in the description. But yes, the, think, the, the other uh, thing you stated about them not knowing they've been charmed afterwards is also very useful if you're trying to be subtle, sneaky, stealthy, other words for quiet. Yeah. I think the, the first point that you mentioned about disadvantage in combat um, is, I suppose, a little bit overkill or would be on this spell because it does have the caveat that if you are any companion damage the target, the spell ends. So mm. you would hope then that that other characters had noticed that you had done this or that you might be known for doing this because otherwise you could have jammed somebody and they could be halfway through walking away and someone could just fireball everybody and then they come out, they snap out of that charm. Um, obviously, if they, they don't survive the fireball, then that doesn't matter, but uh, it's, uh, yeah. But yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I had a it's thought a then, and then it just completely went. I was like, I had no what I want to say, and it was gone. Um, we th you talked about, I think you covered everything, really, because you've got uh, your eight hours. Uh, duration's great, because it means they can keep them, you know, occupied for the rest of the day. Concentration is not great, because you might want to concentrate on other things. Which I always, yeah, managing your concentration spells becomes a thing. I think when you're something like a, a bard or a sorcerer or warlock, well, maybe to some degree, well, but wizards, if you're if you're if you're a cleric, it's something you're going to be very concerned about. Is you yeah. is you managing your concentration? Same as like druids, managing that concentration is a big thing. Choosing which spells you're going to be concentrating on, um, or as as I learned as I had yesterday in Baldur's Gate three, uh, concentrating until you get hit the very next turn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But that's always that's yeah. always a possibility in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it is, it is. Con maintaining concentration in in Dungeon in Baldur's Gate though seems to be uh, far more of a challenge it does. than uh, out in the normal game. I think there's always uh, the always the thing that people forget in 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 normal Dungeons and Dragons games is people will forget to to roll those concentration checks. So I always would recommend you just, I don't know, if you're really forgetful, get some poster notes. I always have poster yeah. notes to hand when I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. I find them useful. Or um, it's a bit like, yeah, I suppose you could do something similar to when uh, a bard gives me inspiration. I always set a dice aside to remind yeah. me that I've got that. Yeah, I, I think I do that with the, the little dice trick. Um yeah, concentration can be a bit of a kicker sometimes. Uh, I do play this spell on Warlocks, as I mentioned, and concentration is also a bit of an issue for them mm. because quite often they're concentration, co concentrating on Hex um, or some of the other uh, free spells that they get through invocations, like Detect Magic, obviously. That can be a bit of a kicker because you're always casting Hex or uh, whatever it is other spells uh, at the highest level that you have slots for as a warlock which mm. once you hit ninth level um, which we have on on, on our campaign mm. uh, means that you're casting hex to last the entire day um, and obviously yeah, you have so few spell slots that you don't really want to break concentration on that no. so you really have to kind of decide uh, where it is you you know you 
want your concentration to lie. Suggestion can be fantastic in getting you out of a situation or getting you into a situation. Um, but uh, in that in that example where you're switching from hex to you could switch a, a suggestion. Hex is, I feels like that it's always that one that you bring up when you are in a fight. Um, it has other uses. You could you could theoretically use it in another situation, but its primary thing is to give yeah. that little extra damage. Yeah. But you also do give the yeah. But you might want to switch to suggestion to give you give you that choice. It's always always a better yeah. thing. And sure. Yeah, but I think with you, I'm trying to think that there's yeah every class has concentration spells. Uh, it's just I always feel there are certain classes that definitely have to. Obviously, with warlocks, it's because of their limited number of spell slots. With others, it's just because so many spells have. I remember when I was playing my cleric in in Curse of Strahd, and the number of concentration spells that you have, your it's uh, it's a consideration when you're preparing your spells that morning. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, they've got such great concentration spells. They do. You want to be aggressive with spirit guardians, or do you want to have something like, um, or what was that spell called that gives you resistance to necrotic damage that you cast? That... Oh, was it one of the beacons or their beacon of vitality or beacon of hope or something like that? Because, yeah, there's a couple of beacon spells basically. Or of vitality. Yeah, sure. maybe I don't know. It was, it was something. Yes, I, I can't remember what it was. It was something of vitality, I think, is the one you're talking about. It, it saved your bacon against uh, a certain enemy that was doing a heck of a lot of necrotic damage to you. Mm. And also, it, it gets gets you up with one HP if you're down at the start of your turn, I believe. Um, not the cleric, but... Yeah, players. I think it was Aura of Vitality. Yeah, that was a great concentration spell. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there we go. <laughs> Suggestion. I suggest you take it. <laughs> I suggest we move on to your spell. <laughs> I agree with your suggestion. Uh, yeah, so my spell of the week is Arcane Eye. Arcane Eye, and I'll be honest, one of the reasons I chose Arcane Eye was I wanted to choose something that I had experience using, which I did with my wizard, the first character. And also, uh, when I, l I thought, well, I had a lot of divination spells being a divination wizard, so I filtered my search via divination spells, and Arcane Eye happens to be, alphabetically, the one that f shows up first. <laughs> I love the way you pick spells. <laughs> so that was why I chose Arcane Eye. No, I actually genuinely really like Arcane Eye as a spell. It's like you're leveled up uh, clairvoyance yes like i think once i i will describe it in a moment for those who don't know but once i had uh, un unlocked once i had access to arcane eye clairvoyance wasn't prepared again yeah makes sense uh but yeah so arcane eye is a fourth level divination spell cost an action to you to cast it does have all the components so your your verbal your somatic and your materials though your materials you can use your your arcane uh, focus your spell casting focus but simply it is you create an invisible magical eye within range that hovers in the air for duration you mentally receive visual information from the eye which has normal vision and dark vision out to 30 feet the eye can look in every direction 
as an action you can move the eye up to 30 feet in any direction and there is no limit to how far it can move uh, but it can't leave the current plane of existence and it um, is blocked uh, a solid barrier blocks the eye's movement basically so it can't go through walls that's it's pretty much the diameter right Yes, uh, uh, it can go through an opening an inch in diameter. So it's only, it's an eye. It's small. Yeah. Um, but the great thing about it is it's basically just your own little invisible spy, little scout. It kind of, def- if you, yeah, maybe you're in a party where you don't have a particularly stealth-focused rogue. And it's a great for that, or a, or a ranger, a competent ranger perhaps, um, where you can you can send it forward, and it will scout the area out for you because you'll be able to see that, see what it sees. We we used it a few times. I don't think uh, I got massive use out of it, but we got some some use out of it. it put it into places where we like. Do we want to go there? No, we don't want to go there. Do we want to go there? No, we want to go there. Um, we got some use out of it. We discovered, I think it's the arcane eye that discovered um, when a body had been possessed and uh, made an escape from us. We're talking about the Revenant last week. Oh, yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that bit. <laughs> I remembered when you used it to investigate up, uh, up like a was it just a tower or was mm. it a clock tower or something? Yeah, it was yeah. just a just a normal tower yeah and the inside of that tower had kind of stretched out into another dimension um so it was taller and, and larger on the inside than it was on the outside and uh you you'd not realized that yet because you'd not adventured far enough into the dungeon but as no. you got there you saw how things were getting a bit weird and then you came up against an invisible barrier because yes. that was where the dimension change had happened or the plane change or whatever it was yeah um so it gave you a. It actually kind of gave you that knowledge in a in a roundabout way because obviously you know how your own spell works. You know the limitations of it. So you're like, okay, well, it's been blocked by fresh air at the minute. So that means it must be blocked by either some sort of barrier or it's changing planes. Yes. It was. Yeah, it's great for. I said it's a great scout, it, and it, it put it yeah, knows yeah. a little bit. Weirdly, it knows a little bit more than your average rogue. Um, because uh, it's, it's piloted by an intelligence based caster. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but also, yes, it can detect that that transition uh, to another plane if it needs to, so portals or whatever you want to fit into your your D anD D world. Um, but yeah, it's, I think. Uh, go on. I was just going to say a really interesting combo with it. I kind of accidentally found out actually a good few years ago, uh, probably the first time I ever cast it. I was playing an Eldritch Knight, and for some reason I'd taken Keen Mind. I cannot think what the motivation for that was. Um, I, yeah, he had Keen Mind. Um, this is one of my first characters that I ever played. Yeah, I think I just liked the sound of it. Hmm. Uh, and I happened to find a scroll of um, Arcane Eye because he was not high enough level to cast a level 4 spell because that's like really high level as an Eldritch Knight because they don't get high level spells. And, no, I was just like, oh, I've got Keen Mind. Uh, and we were at the entrance to an entire like underground basement dungeon that was carved out of some caves. And 
I was like, okay, I'm just going to go map out the entire dungeon. And the DM was like, I should have put doors in here, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you should. Yes. <laughs> it was all a homebrew adventure. He, yeah. he could have said at the time, you come up against doors, but he didn't. He didn't yeah, he didn't think about it. <laughs> and he just spurred that out, so then he can't change it because he said it. Yeah. To be fair, at the time, I was a newish player. He mm. was a newish DM. Okay. So we're forgiving it completely. Yeah. He, was, he was as experienced at DMing as I was experienced at playing. So okay. um, we'll have that. But it was just, I'll always remember it then because it's, it's just interesting that you've mapped out this entire area and you've got a feat that lets you re- remember that like with perfect detail. Uh, and I quite liked that synergy. Yeah. And it also t- teaches us a very important lesson for DMs uh, it, it's not real until you say it. <laughs> yeah. Once you, if you prepare stuff and then you realize there's a problem or a fault, just don't mention it and it doesn't become reality or you can, you know, fix it on the fly. Uh, something I'm learning a, a lot in my, in our current campaign is to be that, just be flexible and lean on your improv, improv, improv skills. Yeah, improv. Yeah. Yes, for some reason that word just doesn't work for me today. But yes, um, <laughs> to to be flexible. But yes, the uh, the arc and I recommend it for your wizards, your artificers, your knowledge domain clerics, and your arcane domain clerics. Arcana, sorry, domain clerics, because they're the ones who get it. Because it's really good. It's really cool. Like. I you probably find your wizards are going to be the ones who are probably going to whip it out more likely. Hey, it's just the wrong phrasing for something called arcane eye. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, it is. And with your um, the artificers, perhaps might choose. I don't know if they're probably going to choose other things at that level. Uh, but I think it's yeah. really a wizardy. Maybe your arcana domain might. Um, I definitely recommend it to to wizards. Makes you feel very useful. Oh yeah, for sure. On to the monster of the week. On to monster. Yes, on to monster of the week. That is that is the direction that we are heading. Uh, are we going to um, roll for monster of the week as well? Uh, I think the first roll was good enough because uh, then we can leapfrog each other and continue that way. Um, so I will go first with uh, with my monster of the week and. Last week, I chose the Revenant, and I said that one of my favorite parts about the Revenant is every time the players kill it, give it a day, and it comes back in another body, because the spirit is what really is the Revenant, and it jumps into the nearest corpse a day later, and is back with a vengeance, literally, because that's the whole point of a Revenant. Uh, So this week, I have picked something on a similar theme, I said I was going to uh, one of my all-time favourite creatures that I ever ran in a campaign was the Bone Claw. This is a pair that's uh, been on your screen for a little while now because I have only just added it to OBS. <laughs> Bless. The Bone Claw is a creature steeped in lore. If you're looking at the screen, you can probably guess with the name and the image that it is an undead creature with massive, uh, sharp claws. Uh, One of the things I like about this is they're formed from a wizard who has tried to become a lich. Uh, 
maybe I'll pick Lich next week so we know what Liches are. But Liches are kind of the end goal when you're a necromancer. Immortal, undead yeah, spellcasters. Sort of more of an evil necromancer. We, yeah. always, we shouldn't always assume necromancers are evil. It's a bit of a stereotype. I suppose, I suppose. The old meat mechanics can be good too. But um, needless to say, the Boneclaw is a wizard who has tried to become a lich but failed and become a bone claw instead. They've reached some sort of undead threshold, um, but they've not managed to maintain quite everything that made them who they are, and they've lost their ability to cast spells. Uh, instead, they have some abilities, which we'll run through shortly, but these hideous, cackling monsters share a few of the lich's attributes. But while liches are immortal masters of the arcane, mm. Bonclaws are thralls to evil, hatred, and pain. So, as you can imagine, spooky. yeah, they're, they're great. Um, this thing can really rip your players to shreds with its piercing claw attacks. Uh, it has got an entire 15 foot of reach. Jeez. It makes two piercing claw attacks. and They're very accurate. They are plus eight to hit. Um, for a charge level 12 monster, it does a fair amount of damage. It'll do uh, 3d10 plus four piercing damage, plus 2d10 more necromancy damage. The average numbers for that are 20 piercing damage and 11 necrotic. So if you're just using flat figures, it'll do 31 damage. Yeah. If the target is uh, a creature, the bone claw can pull the target up to 10 feet towards itself and the target is grappled. The escape DC is quite low at 14. Um, the Bone Claw uh, has two claws, and uh, while a claw grapples a target, the claw can attack only that target, which makes sense. It's like you are skewered on those massive. Mm. Uh, I mean, 40 is not terrible, I would point out. Um, for a creature that not... is. I don't know. It's got plus four strength, so it's kind of expected. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's not too bad of a save. It's uh, it's probably the weaker part of it. Mm. Um, it's done a lot of damage to you, and it's grappled you and pulled you in to its embrace for free as part of that attack. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that's pretty strong as it is. It also has an ability called Shadow Jump, uh, which recharges on a five or a six. Uh, if the Bone Claw is in dim light or darkness, and obviously it's going to be because the the DM has set up the combat. Um, so it's smart to yeah, set yeah. it up for the real darkness. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, at least dim light. Uh, so I suppose the players could cast spells to create areas of light. So that that is something to be aware of. But if the bone claw is in dim light or darkness, each creature uh, of the bone claw's choice within fifteen feet of it must succeed on a DC fourteen Constitution saving throw or take. Uh, 5d12 plus 2 necrotic damage, or 34 if we're going flat numbers. The Bone Claw then teleports up to 60 feet to an unoccupied space it can see. It can bring one creature it's grappled, teleporting that creature to an unoccupied space it can see within 5 feet of its destination. Destination uh, spaces of this teleport must be in dim light or darkness. So it's kind of like Shadow Step for the monks, for the Shadow Monks, but it's doing some necrotic damage as it explodes into like necrotic mist and it's taking whoever it's grappled with it now i i didn't set the buildings tall enough to be kill to, to kill players but i 
grappled a player, mm-hmm. teleported on top of a building, and just dropped them. Yeah. Nice. It felt like two stories. They took about an extra sort of maybe 20 damage or so. Um, it did down them, but okay. it wasn't like it wasn't like a killing maneuver. It was there to raise tension. It made made the the cleric have to do some some work. Um, I think uh, I think what I really love about these things is even though uh, yeah. they're fairly low on the challenge rating, they have a bonus action which they can just. Yeah, they kind of, I won't say fairly low, yeah, they're middling there. Challenge rating 12, uh, you're not going to be fighting them if you're level 1, 3, that sort of level. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got deadly reach, so in response to a creature entering a space within 15 feet of it, the Bone Claw makes a piercing claw attack against that creature. So someone could walk within 15 feet of this thing and just get grappled, pulled towards it, and hurt and impaled. So it's, it's, a, it's pretty spicy. I, was like, uh, I noticed it and I was like, say what? What's, what's yeah. It can do what? Wait, so it's got, wait, okay, okay, okay. So we, you Because you don't see a lot of reactions. Like sometimes yeah. you have to go, if you want to, say you're creating a homebrew monster and you want to give it a reaction, I like to look at what already exists in other monsters, look at their reactions. Um, and there aren't many, and I've, and I've had to, I've had to look a few times and a reaction is always great. It's not just your opportunity opportunity attack. Yeah. And one that's, you know, got the 15-foot range. It basically, it means it's kind of a bit like the Polar Master, right? So oh, yeah. It's similar that if it comes into your range, it's able. if you go into its range, it's able to attack you. Only this guy can also grapple you, grapple you with its... Uh, with its reaction, that's great, isn't it? Really, re- with its yeah. reaction, um, and it's got a bonus. Action I believe that's well. like actually what I did as well. I grappled who came close, mm-hmm. pulled them on top of a building, dropped them off. Sweet. So that was like, yeah, it was. They're a nasty creature. Um, if you kill them, as I mentioned, uh, they uh, a destroyed bone claw gains a new body. This, this time, instead of the spirit jumping to the nearest corpse, its body just regenerates in 1d10 hours with all of its hit points. And the new body appears within one mile of the Bone Claws Master. Now, that's one important part that I have not yet gone into detail on. And so I mentioned a Bone Claw is a wizard that's tried to achieve lichdom and not managed it. Well, that's usually because something has interfered. Mm-hmm. And that would become the Bone Claw's new master. So perhaps another Lich or another powerful entity, i.e. the BBG, uh, has interfered and used that opportunity to create an undead servant that will relentlessly chase your players down. Now, in my campaign, in my first campaign, I can freely talk about this because I'll likely never run it again and it was all homebrew. So I'm happy to, to go into a lot of detail. The Bone Claw was the twin brother of one of the players who had been uh, mur- oh, murdered, mm-hmm. uh, or kind of murdered, um, by the BBEG and forced to go through this ritual to um, achieve undead l- in, like immortality. Wasn't quite lichdom in in my game, but uh, it was. This player was this character was essentially manipulated into into becoming this bone claw, which made the players having to fight it all the more 
emotionally charged and I had the bone claws like features crack as they were fighting it and like parts of it fell away and you could see the slightly dead looking face of uh, the character's twin brother underneath and that was kind of how they realised they were fighting their, their twin brother who was a tabaxi so it was quite an interesting uh, thing cracking open this skull and finding this matted cat fur underneath and this <laughs> tabaxi uh, <laughs> bone claw yeah it was well cats have claws right <laughs> <laughs> they do they do it works uh, i definitely made sure it was more undead rather than furry <laughs> so we definitely went in the right direction with this one uh, and then it was really good because i i built an entire like subplot that had woven into the main plot of the campaign where naturally as you would expect the players now wanted to somehow save uh the player character's brother um which they actually managed to do uh cost them a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hard work um and that then gave them a powerful ally in the in the final battle who was uh who was who had the original stat block for that player character but was just simply a reborn so yeah I really like this creature. It's got a lot of flavour. And it looks... The art's pretty good, man. Like, it looks cool. Yeah. It's got big eyes. Yeah. Big eyes, claws. The uh, art was, was the first thing that attracted me to it. Cause like like many DMs do, I I imagine I was leafing through, um, funnily enough, Volos, because uh, mm. that's, I think, what the, the creature is from. Although it will now be in, um, in Mankind and yeah. the Multiverse. So there is a legacy version. I'll be honest, I don't have Volos up in the office it's downstairs so i can't tell you what's different with it but i don't feel like too much has changed uh, maybe the hp uh, maybe the ac let me have a look it it has the bonus action now which it didn't before oh does it right i'm sure it had that reaction before it has the reaction still the reaction hasn't oh the bonus action sneak right okay uh, i get you i think it might have just been able to hide as an action before Oh, so the reaction was different too. Was it? What, how did it work? In response to a visible enemy moving into its reach, the bone claw makes one claw attack against that enemy. If the attack hits, the bone claw can make a second claw attack against the target. Oh, yeah. I do remember that now that you've said that. So you yeah. basically can make two attacks. <laughs> That's probably a bit too good. <laughs> That's probably why, why when I dropped them off a building, they were at zero hit points. Yeah, and I wonder why they changed it. Eh? Yeah. Needless to say, um, you could play either mm. in your game, or you could homebrew it to be a, a mix of both. You could add extra rules. You're the DM. You can do what you want. You can make it an undead tabaxi that's been forcibly turned into a bone claw like I did. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all about fun. That's all. That's what it is. It is. It is. Oh, I, That's the bone I, claw. I, yeah, it is the bone claw. Uh, I wanted to use the bone claw, believe it or not, because since I saw the image, I think actually, I think the f I hadn't given it too much consideration. I don't like to you unless it's part of the theme of a of a campaign. I don't like to use a lot of the same type of monster too much. Yeah. So in the last full campaign we did, I used a lot of devils because it was that was a theme. It was all to do with lawful evil devil type creatures um so yeah just devils 
Um, but I would throw in other things because I don't like to always use un undead all the time or devils all the time. So I've always, I, I, I always kind of like put undead to a bit of a distance because it's one of those that I always lean on a little bit with random encounters. A lot of like half decent yeah. lower end undead. So your skeletons, your zombies, your ghouls and things like that are all like really good just for your random encounters. Yeah. So I've always yeah, stuck them there, even if you guys have never come up against them. So undead has always been sort of was always put a little bit behind the others because of that. And then you told me in in I think a longer form version of the story you just told before. Um, yeah. About it, and it made me look, made me look it up. I looked it up. And I was like, "Ooh, I'm not even gonna look at the stats. I just like the art. I want to use this guy at some point." Yeah. Still never got around no. to it. Maybe I'll throw it into our current campaign because it's play of opportunity uh, with um, with your player having that sort of undead connection to throw it yeah. in there. Uh, it's even kind of like a really good vibes that I could homebrew some interesting stuff with regards to your patron, even even though you technically already yeah, have yeah. the stat block um, that Absolutely. I made that I made ages ago. But let's <laughs> oh, does it? Oh yeah, I I made a reaper. Yeah. A Grim Reaper, essentially, but a Reaper stat block a long time ago. Uh, in the, fr the first time I ever touched this particular D&D world. Interesting. Uh, I haven't looked at it in a long time, so I might look at it and go, hmm, maybe <laughs> that needs changing. Uh, yeah, perhaps. I didn't even look at it when I was planning the whole Hallow spell thing you just dealt with this week. I didn't even look at it then. Probably should have. Doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. Let's move on to my choice for Monster of the Week. Because my choice for Monster of the Week is one I have thrown at you before. Because I do like to use things I've used before. Um, and because we've done a lot of like, oh, I've never used these things. I really want to use it. Wouldn't it be fun to... Uh, to use it, uh, and I'm trying to just vamp why I uh, put add the image to to uh, to OBS. But it is these big fellas. It's a flesh golem I've chosen this week. So me buddy next to me here. This guy, um, as you can see on on the screen, he is a flesh golem. He's an ugly fella. That is kind of just a amalgama amalgamation amalgamation of other fellas. It's kind of the basics. It's a, 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 basically a flesh golem. To read the actual description, a flesh golem is a grisly assortment of body parts stitched and bolted together into a muscled brute imbued with formidable strength. Powerful enchantments protect it, deflecting spells, and all but the most potent weapons. And uh, I have I used two of these I think to throw at you in in our in our Nuri campaign. You did. Always great for an evil scientist to have flesh golems as minions. Um, but it, it kind of they kind of. I always read their stats and I always think, oh, these guys are really cool. You want to 
like, like the berserk feature and I like all the Im immunities it's got uh, and some reason they always just still seem to not live quite as long as you want because you can keep adding hit points but it gets a bit ridiculous after a while yeah um, but it does it make it make some good minions to be honest if you want sort of minions for higher power sort of higher leveled parties I think they're great like for the for challenge level five, yes, mm -hmm. it's got really low AC at nine, but it's got quite high hit points. I know you said they, they don't tend to, to live as long as you'd like sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I remember Zengris got quite the shock when he <laughs> found out that they were immune to lightning because I'm pretty sure, being that there were two flesh golems and he was a sorcerer, that he twin cast, um, what's that orb spell? Uh, chromatic uh, orb. Chromatic orb, thank it's, you. It's uh, and he liked casting it as a lightning chromatic orb, which he did. Uh, clearly, he should have chosen fire, uh, being that they have... Um, they don't have vulnerability to fire damage, but they do have the aversion to fire, which weakens them in, in, in a couple of ways, doesn't it? Yeah, so aversion of fire, uh, and if it takes fire damage, it has disadvantage on, uh, on attack rolls and ability checks until the end of its next turn. Like just he, he, only one person has to use. It can use a cantrip. Like as long as you hit, as long as you got something that can, you're pretty certain you can hit him with. And with an AC of nine, you're probably going to hit him. Um, you can just keep that, and you can ask, That's the go. One of the go-to's to definitely defeat it. But yes, the lightning absorption is what you're talking about with um, with Zenkris and his and his chromatic orbs. Uh, yeah. Is that whenever the golem is subjected to lightning damage, it takes no damage and instead regains a number of hit points equal to the lightning damage dealt. So don't lightning bolt it, because you might just replenish all its hit points. Or put a, a wizard with them that lightning bolts the players, but always lines up the beam That's so that cool. it hits the golem. <laughs> there's, a few, there's a few like sort of lightning spells that you could use that be like. Stru like, just target, just target the golem. They don't. There's like basically healing like the golem. Call lightning would be great because yeah. you, it hits. I think it hits and hits everything within five feet of the mm. point, so you can hurt your players a bit and heal your golems a bit. Um, if you're going for that kind of Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster scenario, which you did a little bit, didn't you? Because mm. I know the the mad scientist. He wasn't present when we fought these, no. but he was further further on at the end of that. Um, and he was called Dr. Frank N. Stein. He was. He was, bless him. <laughs> Although his, his end fight was uh, was a little bit different. Yes. Um, but you could have had some sort of, basically a Tesla coil or something mm. that could um, be activated every turn to shock these and heal them a little bit and damage your players a little mm. bit or... I would I would probably use the call lightning spell to represent that, or maybe uh, ball lightning. Is that something else similar? Maybe. I know it's a an AOE spell that yeah. sorcerers can use. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Um, and I think it works in a similar way. Yeah. Well, I I I've, I've said before I do like something that get, there's a feature that your monsters can have to heal themselves. We yes. talked about it before, and it's always always good to have something that can can organically heal them that's not a spell um and obviously you always want something that can counter it and i think the version of fire whilst not stopping that healing is kind of a good counter to it um it's got yeah, a they're not like scarecrows where they take double damage from fire but they, no. they do get 
sort of a bit weakened by it. Yeah. Uh, it's got immutable form. Basically, you can't polymorph it. Its form cannot be changed. So the golem is immune to any spell or effect that would alter its form. Oh, okay. Um, I know that that can that become... Hmm? I suppose that makes kind of sense because they're made up of many different forms. Mm. They, they I think jigsaw people. Yeah, I think all golems have it. I think all golems oh, do they? have a mutable form. And it's great if you throw it. So imagine you're in a group where your wizard or whoever it is who has Pulmoth, maybe a couple of players have Pulmoth, and every fight is just turning the monster into, I don't know, a turtle or a rabbit or a squirrel, perhaps. Um, it's really good to throw one of these at them because they can't do that with these guys or any yeah. of the go any of the golems. And almost as though we were talking about it earlier, it is a construct. Construct. It is it immune is. to charm. It is. It's um. It's it's got lightning immunity, poison immunity, kind of the ones you'd expect, as well yep. as your bludgeon and piercing slashing from non-magical attacks that ro that aren't adamantine. Obviously, usually you're expecting that aren't silver because that's quite common with your where your lycanthropes and things like that. Um, but this yes. is adamantine is the thing to cut it with if you don't have a magical weapon. Chances are you're probably going to have a magical weapon and not an adamantine weapon. I think adamantine is generally rarer. I think adamantine. that's more on theme for a campaign if you're doing maybe a low magic campaign, like mm. really, really low magic, but you might be able to get adamantine. Um, or there is like the common magic items from Xanathar's, and I know in there there is, I think, like a moon-touched weapon, which is mm -hmm. magic damage, but not not as powerful as a plus-one weapon, which is mm -hmm. obviously the, the uncommon next step, um, like common magic items. Uh, so yeah, it's it's definitely interesting in, in a lot of ways. Um, I, re I really like the, the way it's... Uh, so it's pretty well rounded. You know, it is. It's got multi attack for a, for a low, lowish level for a challenge level five creature. Multi attack's pretty good. Its slam could hit pretty hard. It's accurate as well with plus seven to hit at that level. That's really accurate. Um, and two d eight plus four. Mm -hmm. It's it's nice it's kind of a tank in many ways. It's just kind of can take a lot. It can take a lot of hits, really. Yeah, we talked about it not having great armor class or not as many hit points. Hit points you can change and modify quite easily. It's if you do that with any part of the of the character, of course. Um, but really, what it does is it stumbles towards you and it whacks you, and it can just take a lot of hits as you as you do because it's got some great resistances and uh, and immunities. Well, actually, it's got no resistances. It's got all immunities, damage immunities, and yep. condition immunities. I always feel that it should be large. Yeah, it kind of looks. It's definitely up there because I, I, I was looking up. Was it earlier today or last night? I was looking up what defines. Like if if there is a written rule on what how big something has to be before it gets to. to oh to right, large. okay. So like in like to help you describe the height of of a creature or something like in that. In part, and it was mostly because I'm playing Lod tomorrow. Uh, Lord the Squash my orc and being a rune knight he has grown and I was curious yeah. whether or not he had now grown into a size that was literally uh, a large creature I think he's about 3 inches off being a large creature which is funny because oh, really? his rune knight thing makes him large it's just about he grows an extra 3 inches <laughs> it would be ridiculous so I'm just like no he grows the extra on top of that would be how I'd describe it 
Um, but you could make he hits it... the minimum threshold for large, and yeah. that's all he does. <laughs> and not even not noticeably larger. But I think you can make it large if you want. I don't see why not. Like wouldn't, that is true. Wouldn't, wouldn't make much difference if you want to. I'd even be tempted. Oh, you can make it large, make it a bit stronger as well. Sure. Yeah, more hit points, maybe get an extra dice for damage. Mm-hmm. Um, we should talk about one of its main things, which is Berserk. Um, yes. Which is a long-winded thing that I will go through now. So whenever the golem starts its turn with uh, 40 hit points or fewer, roll a d6. On a 6, the golem goes Berserk. On each of its turns, while Berserk, the golem attacks the nearest creature it can see. If no creature is near enough to move to an attack, the golem attacks an object with preference for an object smaller than itself. Once the golem goes berserk, it continues to do so until it is destroyed or regains all its hit points. The golem's creator, if within 60 feet of the berserk golem, can try to calm it by speaking firmly and persuasively. The golem must be able to hear its creator, who must take an action to make a DC 15 charisma persuasion check. If the check succeeds, the golem ceases going berserk, being berserk. If it takes damage while still at 40 hit points or fewer, the golem might go berserk again. Um, I never got to do this, because I never rolled a 6. Which was always really annoying. And I've used them twice now. I, I, I may have used them another time. But I feel like I've used them another time, but I've definitely used them that one time to, with two of them. And yeah. never rolled a six to get the berserk. Never did. I, I think it's I'd fun. Probably just have the berserk. Yeah, I should have, but that was uh, uh, a different time. A different, yeah, a different yeah. Dan. Uh, a less experienced. I Dan, think. I uh, it, well, that's true. Yeah, I think maybe. I mean, the, yeah, a six seems a bit steep to to have that. Having having a. Only a one in six chance of that happening on forty HP. Uh, there's a good chance it's going to die mm. in the next round of combat at forty. Um, if your players have all at least got uh, magical weapons, and because it's prime almost e- prime example was our last session where you got thirty nine hit points and something that only had forty left with one attack. So yeah, yeah. you're right. Fitz is a level nine character, that is but true. still, You're like, not throw this one, at level nine. one character. Yeah. Even even a single. Well, having said that, he hits no harder than a level five warlock could, because it's still Eldritch Blast. It's still. Yeah. He's still got the same charisma that he would have had at level yeah, hex. five. Does, he- does hex scale? No. No. So yeah. He not. would. Oh no, Hex would be fine against this because it's necrotic damage is Hex. Mm. Hex doesn't scale, it's just always a D6. It's the Hex Blade curse that scales okay. with scales, okay. proficiency. Um, which is worse and better. Um, but yeah, so it's... Yeah, you've got a chance to to uh, to take it out quite easily once it hits that point. So it almost makes that massive wall of text a little bit of a waste. I Honestly, I would just either have it on a have it happen on a on a four up, so it's a fifty fifty chance, mm. or just make it happen. I'd be tempted to take out the whole roll. You yeah. have when it reaches four hit points. Goes berserk. Goes berserk. Because I think, like, as a as a much more experienced DM than than either of us was back when you first used this in mm-hmm. Nure, 
um, what I would prioritize out of an encounter is making it memorable. Yes. Yeah. No one's going to remember the fact that the berserker didn't go berserk because it's only the DM that knows that really. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you've got some experienced players that are sat there thinking this thing might go berserk, but they're still not going to remember that it didn't go berserk. No, no. You're going to remember that it went berserk. Of course. I mean, it's more fun. It's more interesting. A very. It's one of the reasons that um, our last session where I think will be quite memorable was because you went up against the Devourer single-handedly, kind of. Because, unfortunately, uh, Joe, who plays our rogue, lasted a round. Yeah. (laughs) Because he went up and, uh, yeah, used his full movement, couldn't disengage because he had nowhere to go. Bless him, like, he, he fluffed his attacks as well, like, he went up there, he had, the dice just were cursed for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he then got absolutely battered by it. Um, he, does was he on full HP? I don't know, but does, does, does cunning action allow you to dash as a bonus action? Uh, it does, but he wouldn't have disengaged, so he but could you have could, taken a hit. It's the risk, though. You probably wouldn't have gone down with the attack of opportunity, right? In hindsight. Yeah, we're talking about in hindsight, like, you know. I think with, with a rogue, though, we can talk about what's the smart, what the smartest thing to do is with hindsight, you are absolutely mm-hmm. right, but I think what is more likely always going to happen, especially if they've fluffed their first attack, is they're going to still try and get the sneak attack with the offhand dagger. That's true. Because most rogues, even if you're if you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm a swashbuckler, I'm using a rapier, uh, they're going to probably have a knife on hand just to try and make sure they're getting that sneak attack in if they miss with that first attack. Because that's the, the kind of weakness of the rogue is they're only one attack. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I won't say I disagree with, with him not running away. No, okay, um, it was an option. He didn't know what was going yeah. to happen. Um, he is an arc. You could say it was an arcane trickster, so he could have used a spell, kept a range. Again, all in hindsight, all in hindsight. Absolutely. Yeah. Didn't nobody knew what they were going up against. But my point really was with it was the fact that that thing has the ability to devour things, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, how do I make this devour something anyway? Like I wanted it to be there, and and it was in a basement. And there yeah. was bodies in there because I was like, oh, it could just be eating a body when you... Because the idea was you go in the kitchen, one of you is probably going to, you know, you, you're going to see nothing in there. Why don't you just stomp in there and it would come out because you're just walking around the kitchen. Yeah. And it would come out of the, burst out of the cellar and it'd be consuming something as 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 you, um, as you entered or as you walked around. But I got the perfect opportunity because we had a, I thought you had a player bow out. So I was like, what do we do with this player? Well, I might just kill him off. Get him eaten by a, <laughs> get him eaten by a, a fiend, basically, um, and turned into a, an undead entity, uh, a white as it yeah. as it turned out. I definitely, I, I should cover Devour at one point because it was, was quite fun to use. Yeah, maybe uh, do it next week. It was a good fight. It was it was a good monster to fight. It was interesting. I liked the. I think the only reason Fitz could, could solo it was, the being able to use the terrain to his advantage yes. as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, like I don't know how other DMs would have played it in the moment, but I I knew that it was gonna it was a rough situation with yeah. um 
with yourself as Fitz only the only one standing, um, and you're a warlock, so you're not built to take take it on close quarters. So I was a I was a little concerned. I thought I best play this fairly, and then you, you retreated and you had the doorways. I was like, you know what, a large creature got to get through that door. How's it? How's it going to get through? If it was huge, it's not getting through really. No, not without taking uh, half the building with it. Yeah. But with a with a large creature, you could just be like, it it can force its way through it. It probably break the yeah. entire frame, take half the wall. But like, you can with I give it an athletics check basically. I give yeah. it a strength check to try and do so. And I thought that was the fairest way to do it. I mean, I I kind of the way I backed off, um, kind of made it obvious as well that Fitz was assuming that that might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very much hoping to to use that to his advantage that it would take it extra time to get through the door and um that's why he fled into the other room because he was hoping that it would either also get stuck on that doorway mm. or what i actually wanted although it failed in what it was trying to do it went for the locked door um i just didn't manage to barge through i was hoping mm. it would get through and i could yeah. then circle around but that's yeah. a different tale it is that is but yes yeah, so that is the flesh golem covered we've done the flesh golem there we go. Um, <laughs> a big it's drooling a mass of uh, limbs uh, sewn together in a loincloth in the in the art, anyway. But we'll yes. we'll move on. We'll step away from our monsters of the week, and we'll move on to our general topic, which is. Oh, you're asking me. I believe <laughs> I told it you. is. <laughs> Nothing happens. <laughs> it's because you pointed at the camera. Uh, <laughs> it, it's. Uh, I believe it is uh, digital D and or virtual D and D versus uh, in person D and D. Yes. So it's it is one we can give our opinions on on both and the advantages, and we can talk about the advantages and disadvantages of both. Um, I guess I'll, I'll give my opinion on it a lot to start with, since it, I think it was my. I have my topic. Uh, I seem to come up with all other verses ones for some reason. Um, <laughs> I have a great fondness for what we currently do, which is virtual, which is we play over Discord. Because I have never played so much D&D in my life until we started doing it virtually. Thanks to, and, it, and it's a horrible thing in some way because many people died. Thanks to COVID, um, is 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 everyone suddenly just became very aware of things like Zoom, and, yeah. and video chatting, and I would have always done it before, but it was always getting the people together to do it. But suddenly everyone was like, "Oh, should we get together and do watch alongs? Should we get together and play this game?" And at the time, the first thing we we played is we played Call of Cthulhu, another um, TTRPG, which we can talk about on, in another another podcast. Yeah. Uh, and that one was um, they have a law master it's called in Call of Cthulhu the law master was um, my sister-in-law's father Stephen who was one of our players in the Nuri campaign and it creates many a good story and we, we miss him from the current campaign talked about him a lot last week we did talk about him last week um, great Great, great guy. Uh, but we uh, we played that for a while and we got through it and it was fun. And I was like, oh, should we try and do D&D? Because I'd played D&D in person before that. 
And I was like, sure, should we try and do D&D? And most people said yes. I think we got all but one person to play, I think, um, D&D. Uh, and it went well, but we played consistently for a long time. Um, yeah, then, then the the game didn't happen. It fell apart a little bit. And then we started a new one, which is where we had Rob, and we've been playing consistently now for two years? Pretty much. Uh It'd be two years in October. This was probably two years now-ish. I think it's two years just about, to be fair. I think two, could two, even two be years sounds years right. Hmm? It could even be two years tomorrow. Definitely two years, or three years. Because <laughs> like, we did one year of my campaign, and we did one year of Strahd, basically. I'm going to say it's just about two years, purely for the fact that Strahd took more like ten months. Mm-hmm. And we've just kind of about two or three months out of Strahd. That's true. Yeah, two, probably two years. Yeah. Um, but I played every single week I think there's only been a couple that we've missed, like maybe a couple or a few, like two or three yeah. that we've missed in two years. And I've never played so much D and D now, and it's now and it have been more into the game than I've ever been because of it. So very true. remote has, yeah, it's been great. I love it for that reason. It it, it's, it makes getting together in a group. So much easier. You don't get as many cancellations. We we also have rules as our group. We make it very clear that we play every Friday, and you have to commit to playing every Friday. Obviously, we allow people to not be able to play for whatever reason. Hope you're doing well, Joe, if you're watching. Um, because we don't have one of our players tomorrow. Um, oh, uh, he'll be, he will. Is be he going to be playing? Oh well, there he you go. Hey, Joe. <laughs> Uh, there I is a story hope about which I will tell you. I still hope you're doing well. <laughs> um, good, good. Um, but we... Uh, so you still have people occasionally miss sessions. Uh, we've been lucky that our numbers have always been enough to not have to worry about losing one person um, for a session. Um, also, as long as they come back the following week. Um, or even if we lose somebody because of like work, like we did with my brother. Where he was, because uh, he's in the Royal Navy, so he's away a lot. Uh, so, yeah, I love I love remote for that very reason. Saying that, it does have its downsides. It does, and its downsides. Limitations, I would say. Li- limit limitations, but limitations you can't say are not downsides, right? So you can make the best of what you do. Like we've very much moved into the realm of virtual tabletops now with. Uh, Roll20, we finally got all our players onto Roll20 last session, which was great. Um, uh, But it's not quite the same as playing it at a table or playing it together. Um, Largely because I think there's an element of... of, um, How to describe it? If you are someone who struggles with attention whether it's a little disorder or you're just someone who's easily distracted, uh, it, playing remotely will mean that you will be distracted and you may not be focusing so that when it comes to your turn, uh, say, in, if you're in combat, you're immediately just going to go, oh, well, what's going on? Where am I? What's what's happening? Because yeah. you've been, because you're, because there's so many things around you to get distracted by. Um, and in an in in-game, in-person game, 
you don't have that because it's a whole like social setting where everybody is actively taking part and you can see if someone's going to be sitting there on their phone you can see it um even though sometimes when you play in person someone's on the phone simply because it's where all their spells are kept or whatever but i think there is a certain element of maybe above the table that can be talked about um as a new shit i have got all my spells on my phone i'm not on my phone i'm just looking um I, that is probably one of the biggest downsides for me with 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 the remote is that it's easier to get distracted and and in a big way you can't see each other's character sheets to be able to help people out or point things out um you can't see other people's roles you hope people don't cheat and generally i trust everybody that we play with so i've it's not a concern um but i know i could definitely see it for some people being like oh i don't trust that that's what they rolled um it's it's definitely it's a difficult topic i think because there are definitely benefits to both and i would agree um being able to play virtually or digitally or however you want to say it means that consistency and um the ability to just keep playing is so much easier because all on top of like the the ability to to play in person is nice but the logistics can be so challenging mm-hmm. um my monday group a lot of us used to live locally um less so now because even in covid people moved further distances away mm-hmm. because people can suddenly quite often work remotely as well so you don't need to necessarily be close to the office to that's biting people in the ass a little bit now because people are having to return to the office some days a week and that's a, that's a different a big social yeah. issue that's going on right now in, in, in western civilization yeah, so we don't need to test that's that uh, <laughs> that's that's one thing but it, you know it meant that um we almost made a permanent change from in person uh to to virtual and kind of haven't looked back uh, and there are many things that i i prefer about virtual but one of the love-hate relationships I had with in-person is that it always was a whole day event. It had to be. Mm. like It had to be on a Saturday or a Agreed. Sunday, which is a good or a bad thing. Um, it meant that I got to enjoy D&D for pretty much the whole day. Um, it also meant that I had to sacrifice a whole day, uh, whereas we play on Fridays, which is very easy because we start at 7, we finish about midnight, and I do a full day of work. I then have some tea, relax a little bit, and then I switch on my laptop about five ten minutes beforehand log on to discord and away we go it's easy peasy all my stuff's already here i don't have to cut about six heavy books um i i personally don't drive as well i don't own a car so uh i was lucky with my in-person group on mondays um back when we were in person that uh the logistics of it were quite good um one of my players lived not overly close to me on the other side of Leeds mm-hmm. um, but it basically they had to drive past me to get to the to the location that we played at which was yeah. one of our other players houses um, so it meant that I always had a lift there and a lift home uh, I think the other good thing is although we talked about um, how Luke owns most of the books on mm-hmm. D&D Beyond and as a result we all technically have access to them as well mm-hmm. um, 
in play in 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 the flesh D and D, if one person turns up with a book, that just means everybody's got that book mm-hmm. for that day for that session. So mm-hmm. it's it's also you know there's that real benefit there. Like uh, it meant that as a group, I might buy certain books. We probably all would buy the main ones, like yeah, yeah. Tasha's, But it also meant that like if one person bought one of the other ones that might not be as worth buying, mm-hmm. um, like Strixhaven, for example, yeah, uh, that nobody else needed to buy it. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, so it was quite quite useful for that. Uh, same as as you've said, like you can see everybody's roles. There is a very visceral reaction at the table when somebody rolls a one or a twenty. Oh, yeah. It it's like you would just see it and like this. You can't you can't beat that moment where you look you look down at your rolling tray and you see that twenty and you go. Oh my god. Especially if it's a real tense moment as well. Oh, yes. Like that that is that is absolutely unbeatable. Um but that said, even with all that taken into consideration, and I think because of that habitually, my was a weekend group, now Monday group, is still way less consistent than our Friday group. Mm-hmm. Even though we are also now digital. Mm-hmm. Um because I think people have got into that habit of we do it most weekends, mm-hmm. not every weekend. No. Um, and for that reason, and we've, we've always just kind of played that way. So it, it's just become our adopted behavior. Um, whereas on our Friday sessions, we're super consistent. Everybody mm-hmm. plays, mm-hmm. you know, people don't really miss the sessions without good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do so rarely. Yes. Um, so it's it's super consistent. It's just easier. It means I get to play more D and D, like mm-hmm. you said at the start of that conversation. You know, you've never played more D and D than you have in such a consistent way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think it's it's opened the the floodgates for a lot of people in that way. I imagine so. Uh, I mean, talking again about, I suppose the logistics of geography. Um, I probably wouldn't have joined our group mm. if we had to go to i know we've been to luke's to play once mm. um but if we came to yours mm-hmm. it's you know it's 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 not going to work because no, no. in our situation i don't have somebody who has to drive past my house to get to yours um so like i'd, I'd be getting a train to leeds then a train to manchester or wherever mm-hmm. you live then it's it gets expensive at that point as yeah. well so I'd be paying a massive amount of train fare every time we played D and D, which then becomes quite difficult to facilitate. And a, you yeah. know, don't get me wrong, if if I could cast a teleportation circle <laughs> <laughs> every Friday, I'd come to yours and I'd play D and D in yeah. person. It'd be yeah. better, but it's um, it's not, it's just not quite the as easy to to make no, that we, happen. We currently play with a group whilst we have half the half the party. Depends on the collection, but with the people that we generally play with, whether they're consistent players or are jumping in and out, we're all over the country. Like quite literally, my my brother could be in Portsmouth. Like, uh, I can't get really any further south than that, than than where his actual home is in the northeast. Like, the like, we're all over the country, and it gives you so many more opportunity to play 
because you you don't you like I don't know if I would I definitely didn't play as consistent. I played maybe every few months before, in person. And to be fair, what you it. It really hit me when you said about lugging around the books, like carrying around all the. Uh, all the books. <laughs> yeah. I used to ca- I used to take like at least two backpacks to a D and D session because I had all my books, then all my paperwork with all my stuff prepared, then all my dice. Like yep. uh, my friend Ross did. Uh, he had like we called it his murder bag because it looked like one of those big old fashioned doctor's brown leather bags, okay. but like clips open. Yeah. He had all the books in it, all the dice, notebooks, pens, paper. He had two folding chairs in the boot of his car because we needed them because there was a lot of us. Yeah. Um, just the sheer amount of stuff you've got to take. Um, but like it's also really good to just have people there. Because then someone can say, oh, where is that ability on, in the book? And you mm. can just say, oh, yeah, it's there in the player's handbook and you can physically point to it. You all learn together, make mistakes together instead of not being able to see somebody's screen on D&D Beyond mm. unless they share their screen through mm. Discord. And, and even then it can be a little bit challenging. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think that you did hit on something which I didn't address as well, which is the the distraction. Mm. Um in in the Monday group, one of the players that uh, has drifted away, um, unfortunately, the, the, I guess I think the group didn't dynamic the time the time commitment of D and D just didn't really mm. work for them in, in the Monday group. Um, there were it was quite obvious sometimes that they were watching football. Yes. On a third monitor, or um, I think their particular vice was League of Legends. Uh, I know they have a lot of tournaments. Um, mm. Yeah. If you're able to just watch that in the background, that, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, if you can commit, but sometimes it was pretty obvious that they'd not been paying attention for the entire round of combat. Uh, and it, I think it's kind of rude, is that you know you're there to be with people that you you're part of a collaborative storytelling effort, yeah. um, and it, it it kind of becomes one of those situations where everybody becomes slowly aware. Yeah. Um, but no one says anything, no. so it gets a little bit socially awkward, which means that I'm sat there cringing. Um, and it, or again, like you've said, the, there's always um, I, I think we're pretty blessed with our group um, in that none of us really obviously cheat. Um, I think some of us have horrendous luck and I think some of us have quite good luck. I know I get a bit of a reputation for rolling quite highly. Mm. Uh, it's it's a reputation that has plagued me my entire life, I will tell you now. <laughs> Even back from my Warhammer days. Uh, the dice god bless you. It just... It, yeah, it is. I used to get called OP Rob. <laughs> not even joking. <laughs> it was really frustrating sometimes because it also, like, with Warhammer, it kind of takes the wind out of your sails a little bit because you might be sat there thinking, "I really earned that victory. I was tactically minded. Mm-hmm. I've battled my way around my opponent's defenses," and then going, "Oh, you roll so bloody well," and I'm like, "Well, I guess so." But no. I would feel like with you though, it's more the case that you're. Uh, you very you know the mechanics of with the yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. You know the mechanics, and you're very good. At, you love to min, you do min max, and you'll build I characters do. like that. And you know the ins and outs. And you always know every little trick, so that it will look like you are rolling really well when you're like, oh, what did you? And it's like roll to hit. Oh, twenty five, and you're like, how does he always? And you've got like a ten. It's like, well, that's just how it. How yeah. you that's just how it goes when you build your characters like that. Um it can't all be like 
well, I mean, my brother has ridiculous luck, I will say, because he rolls and he'll tell you the number, and you're like, again, really? Um, <laughs> and I trust him, so I do believe that's the case. But we do like to make fun, because everyone likes to be fun. Or yeah. when when Steph rolls to make her characters, and her stats are always somehow end up being really high, you're like, how did she do that? Or yep. on the other end, when you've got Joe rolling and getting no more than a five uh, consistently. Um, <laughs> like he's me in fucking Baldur's Gate. Like, that's I, like. I think on his. On his was it on his arc? Or some, one of his characters? He literally took the lucky feat because he just. He needed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Rather than trying to commit bullshit mm. re rolls and. Utilize the lucky feet in its current wording in ways that are a bit um, going against its maybe intention. Uh, no, he just took the lucky feet because he's like, I really need to re-roll some of these ones. Please, <laughs> I, he has done something to offend the dice gods. Yeah. So earlier, when I said the rogue fluffed their dice against the devourer, that was that was Joe that was playing that. Mm. We were not surprised when he missed his no. attacks. No. It's not that he's made a character that's bad. It's just that he, I think, no, it's maybe, good. I might have to ask him if he knows what a d20 is because he might be rolling d10s. <laughs> That'd be funny the entire time if you're rolling. <laughs> that d10. would be fun. I don't think that's true. <laughs> no, no, he's a smart guy. I don't think that's the case. If you're um, watching Joe, I don't think you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> But, I think, uh, uh, but to summarise, we'll come, we're coming to the end now. Uh, to summarise, both remote and in person have both benefits and um, disadvantages. Advantages and disadvantages to use D and D terminology. Um, it really depends on what you want from your game. Atmosphere, there is no better atmosphere when you are playing in person with a good party. Sometimes with it with a with a bad party, it's not great. Um, and if you've got people who are easily distracted, it's always great onla- online. Um, just like if you get people who, um, who, I'll be honest, I don't like people drinking when I'm when I'm uh, DMing an in-person game. Ah, uh, yeah. Because pe- drink alcohol just makes people distracted, tired, and it just the game goes out the window and eventually just drifts into not playing the game. Um, that'll be my last big point about it. But both have their advantages and disadvantages. If you if you really just care about playing Dungeons and Dragons, I really recommend remote. And there's stacks of communities out there if you're just looking for people to find players. If you, if you want to do that, I I am such an introvert that I would never approach such a thing. But I know they exist. Um, yeah. But if you are and if you are looking to have more. Um, atmospheric, immersive um, sessions, and especially if you look, I think role play works even better in person. Like I yes. much prefer, like I love role play. It's my favorite part of the game. And when I'm when I'm a dungeon master and I'm doing it in person, which I've always done, I've only ever DM'd in per. Oh, no, that's not right. Whenever I've played in person, I've always DM'd. I've never been a player and played. Oh in yeah, person. I get what you mean. Yeah. So you've never uh, played in person. Yeah. Um. I find my role. I find the role plays better because you can get so much more physical with it. It becomes yeah. um, far more physical, and you can look at everybody. You can direct your attention to somebody in particular, and they suddenly feel that spotlight on them. Instead, the atmosphere can be beaten for in person. You want regular, regular, regularity, and you want consistency. I recommend remote, and remote is only getting better with things like the uh, 
virtual tabletops uh, that we are seeing out there with the Foundry, Roll Twenty, and, and now D and D Beyond's got uh, got their own in development. We did also neglect to mention something that's great about in-person play. That's if minis. you've got a group, that we'll do it. Minis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I love that about in-person play, but again, we're talking about transporting even more stuff. Mm. Um, it is and... it is why if you are going to play in person, you kind of want it to be the DM, your dungeon master, or if you're not playing Dungeons Dragons, your your GM, who is the one who doesn't have to move. You're playing at their house yeah. because then everything is there and they don't have to move. But that isn't always convenient, so. Um, Again, convenience. Local hobby shops can be good for that. Yes, yeah. Convenience, remote atmosphere, I think, can be beaten for in person. And with that, we will come to an end of our fifth episode of the Oculi Big Dice podcast. Thank you for joining us and watching. Please give us a follow on the Twitch. If you if you haven't already, go to our YouTube. If you're not already on YouTube, if you're already on YouTube. Subscribe, give us a like, check out all our shorts, give them a like. If you're on Instagram and you're watching, I mean, if you're watching a short, I don't usually make shorts for my clothing uh, statement, <laughs> but uh, if you want to, you can check us out on Instagram. I put up reels on there that basically are shorts from YouTube. Feel free to check those out, give them a like, follow us on Instagram. Then, of course, go back to YouTube and follow us and like us on, on YouTube. I'm on Twitter, uh, so we're, we're on Twitter as well. Um, follow us on there, like our, our posts on there, keep up to date with what's going on and when we're going to be streaming and posting, I post the VOD, the VOD on a Friday after it's been tweaked and, and messed with a little bit to uh, make it better for that platform but that being said, all in all unless there's any other statements from my co-host we shall call it a day for this episode of the Awkwardly Big Dice Podcast. Thanks for coming. Thank Hope you. Have a good time. Goodbye.